What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Wilf Curtis. We have an incredible conversation covering not outsourcing our parenting and how to be unoffendable with our kiddos, how to partner with your spouse, and so much more. Enjoy meeting my friend, Wilf. Wilf, what is up, my friend? I've been stoked all morning looking forward to connecting with you today. Bro, how are you? I'm good, man. Golden. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, dude. Anytime I get to pause and talk about fatherhood with somebody that I respect and that I know I can learn from, I'm pumped. You know, I'm pumped to just jump into conversation around fatherhood. It's the most important thing to me. Now, to kick this off, right, I always have a Google form I send. And so here's what I want to kick off because you said something in there that I thought was just awesome. And it's not to toot your own horn out the gate, but I think it sets an incredible tone and example for other fathers listening. So what you said is that recently you were at a restaurant and a server came up to you and said that you were the most intentional dad that they had ever seen. And that they said, most dads don't touch their kids or even look at them. Then you said that the guy asked a bunch of questions. So I just want to paint this picture, dads. Wilf and I haven't talked about this yet, but imagine that you're operating in such a way that you're out to lunch. I mean, think about how many, Wilf, how old are your kids? Let's just paint this picture well. How old are your kids? 15, 12, and 10. 15, 12, and 10. Okay. We all know that being out to lunch with your 15, 12, and 10-year-old is not this kumbaya, we're all sitting around holding hands. They're kids, right? And there's stuff going on. But in the midst of a mess, okay, in the midst of some kind of maybe minor chaos, and you can tell us, you know, what that was like, we are setting an example for those around us, even our server. So... Mm. Talk to me about that. I mean, for us to operate in that way, like you could have changed that man's life in the way that he shows up. You could have changed the way he feels about himself, feels about his father, all in just the way you are treating your own kids, dude. This is huge. Yeah. It was a crazy moment. And my kids were just beaming when he was talking to me because they were all sitting, they're all standing there with me. We were trying to leave, but he stopped us and they're all smiling ear to ear, nodding their heads. Like, yeah, he's pretty cool. It was another experience for me, man. I mean, and this guy was like shaking my hand, like over and over again, he kept putting his hand out. How old was this guy? He was about 20. Okay. And he seemed Dude. to be pretty self-aware kind of guy. The yeah. stuff he was doing. And I didn't even notice him, honestly, like he was wiping tables down. It's not like he was even our server, you know, and, mm. um, but really it could have inflated my sense of self and stuff, but really, I think in the moment, it made me sad because I was looking around the restaurant and I was like, oh, you're right. I had just come back from an event and I was like really clear on my purpose and stuff as a dad and as a man. I just started seeing the problem a little more clearly, you know, that he's right. There's an iPad. It was at Red Robin. So they have an iPad at every table and you see parents on their phones and kids on the iPad and they're not talking to each other and they're just sitting there. But man, it was 
it kind of put me on a different level to hear that someone else say that like a total stranger, you know, made me really think about what I have to offer for my kids and for other people in my spheres of influence, right? Yeah. I mean, I literally have chills right now thinking about this because of two things, I guess, is the simplicity of it and the opportunity, right? It's super cool to listen to a podcast and be like, I have so-and-so on my podcast and we all want to hear what some influencer has to say or whatever, which is great, right? We love content, but the reality that it doesn't matter where you sit economically, it doesn't matter where you live, you could go to a restaurant with your children and you can show up and you can impact. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces about fatherhood for me is when we talk about fatherhood, we're not talking about being just a father to your kids. We're talking about this massive opportunity you have to take ownership and responsibility and impact the world through the way you father. Mm, yeah. So dude, I mean, super rad. What a cool way for us to be able to, to kick off this conversation. So, dude, kudos to you for showing up even at Red Robin. <laughs> yeah, it's like I try to take my girls on dates. You know, they're all girls. I got three girls and I try to do daddy-daughter date. And sometimes, you know, I think at that time we had gone to do something else. And I said, you guys ready to go home? And they said, no. And I said, well... I usually would shut it down. I got in myself. I'm like, Oh, too bad. <laughs> but they're like, no, dad, let's go get a burger, you know? And they, said, and they all started jumping and then it's like three against one. Right. So I just gave in and let that be a moment on it in itself. Just saying, yes, that's always hard. So I texted my wife, said, Hey, we're gonna be a little later. And then it turned into a total magical moment, you know, just wow. by saying, yeah. Okay. So the other little ticket there is saying yes. You said, say yes. Like your kids ask you something and saying yes. It's so easy to say no as a dad. It's like, I don't want to spend money. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. So even that little nugget is beautiful. So let me jump into a couple questions with you. How old do you find yourself today? 41 years old. 41 years old. How many yeah. years you've been married? I've been married for, oh shoot, night. <laughs> since 2006. So 17, 17 years. Yeah. 17 Beautiful, years. bro. And three kids. Yep. Okay. So 15, 12 and 10. And then where do you guys live? We live in Ventura, California. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Love it out here. And then what do you do to feed the family and provide value out in the world? I own a martial arts school. So we teach martial arts classes and we have some fitness classes as well. So that's in the neighboring town of Santa Barbara. Nice. And how long yeah. you been doing that? It was my family's business before that. So, you know, like 96, we had a school, but I've been owner of this school for about three years and operating it in total for like the last 10. Sick. That's amazing. Okay. And then if you were to say, you know, the one or two things that really stand out as an opportunity you see for yourself in this work you do, right? Because you're working with all age groups. When you sit back and think about, okay, I am providing this value to people, like what really stokes you out about what you do with this school? I love strengthening families. That's what I think I'm doing. And mm. I turned my entire mission into strengthening families of our community because it used to be very individual based, you know, and you can imagine in martial arts, there's a lot of individualism, Right. Yeah. But we started doing family classes. We used to only do them once a week. And now I turned all my classes into family classes. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So it's a bit wow. different. It sets us apart, you know, from other schools, but it's so much more satisfying to teach. 
So talk to me about that for a minute. So like if a dad's listening right now and he's like, man, you know, this kid does volleyball, this kid does soccer, this kid does baseball, this kid does jujitsu, this kid just wants to skate. I go to the gym by myself. A lot of times we kind of have these things that matter to us individually and we go do those things. But talk to me about the benefits of finding something like martial arts that you could do as a family, right? Because we probably can't all be on the men's softball league. It's probably not going to work out well for my 10-year-old daughter to get up to bat in that situation. But in this specifically, this is something you could do as a family. And, and how do you find that connects a family? Well, I mean, they all line up by size. It's not like I have the dads all training with their kids and stuff the whole time because that could be fun. But the guys also want to train together and train For a little sure. harder. And the kids like their friend group. And so there'll be times when they get to train together. But a lot of times they're just on the mat at the same time. So what I found in the past is that we'd have, you know, three to five year olds at this time, six to seven year olds at this time. And then one kid is going out at a time. And then the, the parent is babysitting their other kids are sitting there and they're there for like two hours. So mm. it wasn't something that they're able to do consistently because after a while they start to value their time a little bit more. The novelty wears off and then they're like, okay, we're moving on to the next thing where I'm going to go sit and watch my kids. Yep. And for a parent, for me to invite a parent on the mat would mean you're going to stay longer that was just out of the question, right? You know, you know, it's like you have a bunch of kids, like you're driving them everywhere. So it became like a convenience thing at first. But what's cool is that when they're on either side of the mat, they'll still catch a glimpse of each other. And there'll be moments when I stop the whole class and highlight a kid and the dad's over there. And he's like, yeah, we're all I heard this so many times. A kid says to his mom, mom, I'm proud of you. And then he says, I never thought I could be proud of you. You, you heard know? a kid say that to their mom? I heard that. Like, I didn't know I could be proud of my mom because they just take advantage of her, right? They just see her as like the caretaker or whatever. Now she's breaking boards. And then I'll say something fun like, hey, better not mess with your mom, you know, yeah, like, just yeah, like, yeah. as an aside. And everyone like, you know, chuckles a little bit, but it's, yeah. And but it's also day, true. It's true. Yeah. 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 So, Dude, killer. And I'll tell you, we so we got our kids in jujitsu. Some of my kids are doing some stuff now as they're homeschool, but that's literally why we left. Like I really wanted to do it, but Stella was at, you know, four and then Presley and Brody were at five and then I would be at six. And I did a couple classes. I'm like, dude, I can't be here for three hours. And then what am I going to do it two days a week? Like that's six hours a week that we're just here. You got to be all in, you know, like you got to really be all in, in that aspect where how cool if we could have had all just showed up at four to five and we're all just rolling with somebody that's our own size. And then you're getting to see your dad, you're getting to see your mom. So dude, really awesome. What's the name of your spot in Santa Barbara? It's called Santa Barbara Dojo. So pretty easy Oof. to remember. Yeah, yeah, pretty easy. <laughs> Brad, dude. Okay. I love it. When you think about fatherhood, when did you embrace fatherhood? So you've been a father through a few stages now. So there's like this moment of maybe you decided, Hey, let's have kids or Hey, I'm pregnant. You're going to be a dad or the day the baby's delivered, or sometimes it's the baby's one, two, three, five, whatever. At what point did you go, man, this is important to me? Mm, wow. Well, we never planned any of our kids, sorry kids, if you're listening, but you're all happy, <laughs> happy accidents. I like to think we were just in faith. Like you know, were so naive. We're just like, if we have a kid, we'll throw her on our back, throw them, you know, throw in a little sack and travel the world. <laughs> but uh, I think it was probably after a really, I can imagine like a really painful night with my first daughter, just trying to put her down and finally her falling asleep in my arms. And it's like, 
she's just cradled in that little spot between my bicep and my hand and looking at her and just making an oath right there. Like, okay, I'm all in. I'm going to be whatever I have to be for you. I'm going to do whatever I have to do for you to protect you and love you. I think it wasn't until after, well into the weeks of being a dad where this lump of flesh became something a bit more. And it was probably after a a sleepless night, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the battle. It was in the battle, in the tired. But what I'm hearing is though, is that you are present, right? You're talking about you at night holding the baby, mom's asleep. And there's this moment of this matters. And how many of us, maybe not of us listening, but men not putting themselves in that situation. Even I know for me, like I had a brother So having my oldest is a girl as well. So having a daughter was this whole new thing of like, I'm changing a girl's diaper and, and I have a daughter and I haven't been around this. I don't, you know, so there's this whole new level, but what I'm hearing, dude, is that you are present in that. And so that encouragement, dads, as you're listening to this, we have to call other dads into fatherhood. And so it's like, yeah, hold the baby. Yeah, change the diaper. Yeah, be up late holding the baby. And I also think it's really helpful, Will. So thanks for sharing. You know, some of us are like, oh, the moment I heard I was going to be a father, I was like overcome with rainbows and unicorns. But the reality is, in some instances, dads may not feel that way for a year or two. And, you know, moms go through postpartum at times. And I think it's it's okay to acknowledge that it's a little difficult. And I think what happens sometimes is dads just innately know we're here to provide and protect. So we just put our heads down and go to work. Right. And we think that's what we do. And we don't, we don't make that deeper connection with our kids. So love what you shared. Now, as you think about fatherhood, we learn so much in life through work, through a relationship with our spouse, but then it's really interesting because we have these little humans that are half of us which is kind of bizarre, right? Like you see the parts in them that you like, you see the parts in them of yourself that you may not like as much or that you're working on. But when you think about your relationship with your children, what have you learned about yourself in the process of being a father? Wow. You know, I feel like I got to see a little whiner, you know, a little complainer. And I was like, that's me. When I heard myself complaining and whining and I was like, wow, that's, that's what I sound like. You know, I just, I mean, I feel like there's such mirrors, right? Anyone who has kids, like you hear them say something back to you and you're like, oh, that came from me. And then sometimes I'm like, no, that came from you. Pointing to my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one's easier to call out. (laughs) Right. But even insecurity, seeing them afraid of what their friends will think now that they're older and just, wow, like I can relate to that. All their wounds that they have, you know, I, it's made me see I have a lot of these same wounds. And then I try to take responsibility for that. Like, okay, am I the one bringing the wound on? Like, did I put that onto them? Do you have an example? Because I actually wrote down, like I underlined this and in, in what you put is you put the wounds down. And I think this is really mm-hmm. interesting. It, it, and you don't have to, but does anything come to mind as a wound that, that yeah. you've uncovered or seen? So one of my daughters, she'll just verbalize it. And it's something that I didn't, I don't know if I ever verbalized it, but she'll say, no one listens to me. No one cares what I have to say. And that I had this outburst when she said that. <clears throat> she was saying it as a justification for why she was having a tantrum and treating everyone like garbage. And she and said that- And she fall on the order real quick? She's the middle child. Dude, phenomenal. Okay. Right. Go. I just heard her say that and I snapped at her and I go, I'm not proud of this moment, but I snapped at her and I said, you're right. I don't care. Because in that moment, her emotions were just overpowering everybody. And I was like, I don't care to hear your emotions and everything. So she stomped off. And 
man, it only took me a second, but I realized right there we were in the car and we were about to leave. So she walked out of the car and I realized like, this is a moment right now. Like this is going to be a wound in her heart for years. If I don't get out of the car right now and I just, it sobered me up. And cause I have had that thought. No one cares about me. No one listens to me. My feelings don't matter. So got out of the car and I just went up to her. I got on my knee. I looked at her in the eye. I said, I was wrong to say that. And it's not true. I do care about your feelings and I love you. She just cried and held on to me. And she's 12 wow. you know, and she's weeping like a, like a little girl again. And I felt like a part of my heart healed in that moment as well, you know, from my, just from my childhood. Where did you fall in line with your siblings? I was the first child. The first child. The oldest, yeah. But you felt like you didn't have a voice in some instances with your family. Yeah. Yeah. How unique, bro, that your own wound you can utilize. Well, one, right? It's like a double-sided, right? Like our own wounds we end up doing to others. But in the moment, you are able to catch it because you could have just been like, I'm fine. I felt that way as a kid too. And I'm fine. She can get over it. And how easy as a dad, right? Because it's like, we're in the car. It's time to go. I don't have time to deal with this, especially with a 12-year-old girl's drama. But when you paint the picture, right, it's easy for us to do that. But to have the awareness that I'm 41 and still feel this way sometimes because of how my parents treated me Hmm. and to be able to take that and go, Hey, that same feeling is in her, maybe partly a middle child, maybe partly that's just passed down from me because it's how I have felt. But the thing that you said, bro, that was painted the most beautiful picture of it for me was you said, I, I got out of the car and then I went and got down on one knee eye level. And I think, okay, you already took action to get out of the car, which is like, we could kudos ourselves as a dad, like, okay, I'm doing this. But you took that step to get down eye level. And that feels like a real apologetic, humbling gesture versus a chasing down. Hey, I'm really sorry. I said it. If you know, it's not true. I care about you. Get, get your ass in the car. Let's go. Because Because sometimes when we're vulnerable as dads, we do that. We might say, okay, I'm being vulnerable, but I'm still going to show up with a little bit of aggro. I'm going to show up with a little bit of power so that although I'm making a vulnerable gesture, I'm using some tonage or some words that still keep me in the not fully vulnerable state. So I just think that the way you showed up was really rad and that you'd share that with us. And my hope is that dads would see that opportunity because those, see, the thing is, is those things are going to come up all the time. They're supposed to, that's like the, that's what family's for. Right. It's what we do in those moments. Mm, Yeah. It's good. That's good. Love it. Love it, dude. I love it. Okay. In your opinion, what is the role of the father? Well, I'll start off by saying that my stepdad, he told me, he said, a role of the father, and this stuck with me all these years, you know, he said, the role of the father is to teach your kids to be good citizens and protect them. So first to protect them, second to make them good citizens. And then he said, third, if you're lucky, you get to be their friend later on. That always kind of stuck with me. But I've kind of added on to that because that to me didn't mean be emotionally present, be vulnerable. It didn't mean anything like that. It was, as I mentioned, my personality has been kind of shoved my emotions down like they're not helpful. That was a belief I had that my emotions are not 
beneficial really. They're just take energy and time. And so I should just kind of shove them away. So I've kind of added on to that. It's like to be present with my kids and to lead by example, like how I teach them how to be a citizen. I don't just need to talk to them, which is kind of my way of doing things, you know, so I love to teach them and all this, like there's three steps to this or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I've kind of been like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to be present with them. And then everything else I'm going to teach them, I have to do by example. And, and I do like the part that I'm not really their friend. Maybe when we're old, we can be buddies, but there's still got to be a healthy boundary. Like there's a certain role that I'm playing. You know, it's the protector, it's the teacher, and it's the guide, you know? Yeah. 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 I love that, dude. One of the things that you had put in the questionnaire that really resonated with me, and it kind of goes along with maybe some of us overly being friends, but you said to be unoffendable. Talk to me about what it means as part of the father's role to be unoffendable. So I don't want to take offense to what my kids say because that puts me at their level. It kind of puts me as a friend. Like someone who can be injured is somebody that you're equals with. If I'm really in this role, you know, of protector and of, as a guide, then if they tell me something that's immature, if they tell me something that hurts my ego, it should be easy for me to brush it off because it's has nothing to do with me. I just see it as, okay, they're having some emotions they're, they're going through something. And I used to take that as, all right, I'm unoffendable. Like I'm untouchable, but I've turned that into, Hey, I can be vulnerable. Like I could say, Hey, that hurt my feelings, but I don't need to overreact and show that it hurt my feelings by hurting their feelings back or by losing my crap. Have we just been like, set off. I realized like, man, I have a temper. I didn't know I had, I thought I was a pretty chill guy until I had kids. It's like, realized like, wow, I got some, like I said, wounds, but I started acting like my dad, you know, my first dad was a bipolar alcoholic. When he had a burst of energy in a negative way, it was like super traumatic. There was times he would, you know, just as an example, you know, he grabbed a jar of jam and threw it at my mother, smashed right into her head on the wall. I have that in me sometimes, like that violent urge or even just to yell violently or to whatever. So for me to be unoffendable, it means that no matter how much they hurt me, no matter how much it hurts, I'm going to keep self-control and I'm going to be able to not take it personally. I'm not the child in this situation anymore. I'm the adult. Yeah. 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 Dude, I love it. I needed to hear that. I've been in a bit of a transformation around that. I am really good friends with my kids. Like my kids and I are friends. We hang out. We do a lot of stuff together. But I have realized in some instances that, and I could think of a couple that I've gotten offended. And it's because in that moment, I made it too much where we're like, out surfing as equals instead of I'm still your dad, like we're friends and homies hanging out. But you're right, if we're just too 14 year olds out surfing, then it's easy to get offended. And to hear what he says, you know, as an example, and or as another example of like, Oh, man, I know I need to take my kids phone away, but they're going to be bummed about it. It's funny, because me and another dad have been talking recently to be less concerned about my kids happiness and more concerned with what they need. So I think this idea of part of the role of the father is, you know, I want to keep that piece of the friendship I have with them because I'm developing that, right? And you're not saying that you're not, you are developing that relationship, right? So that when they move out, when they're 30, 40, 50, they're still, you know, we're friends, but 
in this growth season, I think a good measure of, am I leaning too much towards friend versus father? Am I offended when they act their age? Am I dropping down to their age or am I calling them up into, you know, uh, whatever, higher? Dude, that's uh, good, man. I picked something out of that. That's really good. Really good. I, I love the unoffendable, dude. And I'll tell you, I just, I've been kind of on this kick around unoffendable. Rise Up Kings, their event this year. I don't know if you were at the one where Brant Hansen spoke. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were there together. Brant Hansen spoke on his book, The Men We Need. But then I went and read another book that he wrote called Unoffendable. And it was freaking phenomenal, dude. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it just unlocks some stuff. The guy's approach is so cool, but it unlocks some stuff that we're not supposed to be angry people or at things that were supposed to be unoffendable. So anyways, I love that. So it's been a little bit of a journey for me. Now, you talked about your stepdad, and then you talked about your dad being bipolar. And I heard you mention that you've had four dads, and you've gained some from each of those four dads. I'd love for you to break that down for us. Well, just a quick, you know, like a quick history lesson on me is that my bio dad, he's the bipolar one. I have a relationship with him to this day. Being bipolar, he has excommunicated me from his life multiple times. I learned to be unoffended by that. Just like, okay, it's just this mental state. But, you know, I haven't lived with him since I was three years old. My mom got remarried a few years later to my, I call my carpenter dad. And we grew up in Hawaii and he was a windsurfer and he was a good dad. I got a whole lifetime worth of good memories within just a couple of years that they were married. They divorced a few years later, but he kept in touch. So he's kind of like that weekend dad or check in with me every couple of weeks kind of guy. Even still, like the most consistent guy in my life, even when my heart was broken from my first dad and then my mom remarried for my third dad, I had a lot of drama with him. But my carpenter dad was always there, you know, just trying to take priority, totally okay with me calling other people dad. He was just one of those guys that you start to appreciate more and more as you get older. My third dad is, I call him my karate dad. So he married my mom and had a martial arts school. And I started training under him. How old were you? And then um, I was 14 when they got married. Okay. Yeah. So he was like, he was my mom's boyfriend. I didn't want to bow to. And (laughs) so he's responsible, I think, for teaching me respect and for making sure I never wanted to feel entitled. He just had that really burned into me. And then my fourth dad is my father-in-law. He's also one of those good dads that's been consistent, that's always been there and always will be. As long as he's on the earth, he's just consistent, really great guy. Yeah. Ah, that's awesome. Dude, how interesting. When I saw I have four dads who have invested in different ways, positive and negative ways in me. And so you're still connected with Karate Dad. Well, we actually just had a falling out. And I'm hoping it's like the other situation where I have to just let go of it. Maybe we can come back into relationship. Man, that's a whole story. But he went through some medical stuff. I wasn't there for him at that time because I was running his business. And well, I'll just say I wasn't there for him because I I didn't know how to be there for him. The choices I made were such that he built up a little resentment. He's a tough guy. He didn't want any attention. But then later he's like, you never gave me any attention. That's kind of my short story of it. We've had a falling out where he put the business before our relationship. And since we couldn't agree on business terms, we've kind of stopped talking. So at this moment right now, I love him and I send him all my good thoughts and everything, but I have to kind of, we're in this spot. I don't know if there's anyone out there listening that's got a relationship like that. It's not easy. Yeah. But. Sometimes you got to create space and time for those things. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So this podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes, and you're doing it right, opening up your field notes, sharing your life with us. A theme that I really like or a mantra is rebel and create. And the idea is, you know, as men, as warriors, we're rebelling against something, whether it's like this massive, I'm rebelling against, you know, masculinity being explained as this, and I'm creating, you know, whatever, or I'm rebelling against being on my cell phone at the dinner table to create connection with my family, whatever. When you hear the words rebel and create, what's something you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? Well, I see, you know, I work with a lot of families, so I see a lot of parents who outsource their kids to me. So for years, that was my job and I would be happy to do it. They'd say, hey, my kid needs to learn respect and discipline. So here, you take them. And I've just, that term outsourcing parenthood, it's just come up more and more when I'm realizing, wow, my job is really to be there for the whole family and to call these parents up. And that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to live by example in that. I don't want to outsource my kids. Even when they go to school, I want to know what they're learning. If they have a, like they're in volleyball right now, I want to know the coach. I want to know when their practice is. I'm going to go to their practice this afternoon and just being involved and not being okay with just, all right, you're in front of the screen. You're in front of the TV. You're in front of the computer. That'll keep you busy. When I see that, it, it grieves me. It grieves my soul. I've just seen so many parents do that. Even when they're at the dojo, they're on their phone and their kid is having an amazing moment. And I'll call the kid's name out, highlight them in front of everyone. And that parent is so sucked into what they're looking at. They don't even look up. Wow. So I've just been like, from negative example, I think I've been just spurred on to, okay, I don't want to be one of those parents. I'm rebelling against that, the ease and the comfort of outsourcing my parenthood, my fatherhood, and really like stepping into that present role as much as I can, creating moments with them, creating memories with them, and creating time really just to be with them. I mean, we could be side by side, but not really be with each other. I'm trying to do that. Yeah, that's not easy all the time, but I'm not perfect with it, but working towards it. I love it, dude. I had kind of a similar situation. And that's kind of why one of the things that kind of spurred me wanting to do this fatherhood stuff is I was a youth pastor. And I remember this one girl in particular, her parents wouldn't drive her. So I'd go pick her up and bring her and then drop her off. And you know, with other kids in the car as well. And I remember her dad coming to me and talking to me one time about, hey, I really need you to talk to her, which is fine right? Which is fine. I understand, you know, that I would have a different influence than he and you as a, you know, an instructor are going to have a different influence than a parent. But I had this realization, like, bro, I'm with your kid for two hours a week. You're with your kid for whatever, a hundred hours a week. <laughs> you know, your influence is key. Your influence is primary. And that's what really led me to go, dude, because I wanted to have a youth center that was like had thousands and tens of thousands of kids coming through it, which is important and critical and great. But I started to feel like, dude, my calling is more or the, you know, my mission is shifting to I want to help fathers see who they are in their home so that they're the ones who are able to have these conversations and connections with their child. And or like you said a couple of times is just live by example in your home. Right. Like if you want your kid to live a certain way, then you freaking do it. Right. Get off your ass and do it. I think that what you've shifted in your world is incredible and I think has a lot of power to not just teach a kid discipline on their own, but to change families for generations because you're creating this connection with them. 
One thing I wanted to ask you, which is kind of a touchy subject, I don't always like bringing it up, but I know that you, you've you mentioned that it's important for you. Your wife stays home, is that right? Yep. Yeah. She's a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And, and I want to bring this up. You know, it's become more, it's tough for me to even talk about because my wife stays home and my wife has stayed home since she got pregnant with Brooklyn. So 18 years ago, and she's done some side jobs here and there, you know, like was a PE teacher to help us get a discount on tuition and has been doing some stuff here in Hawaii, but more, more out of like my kids 10 to 17 now. So she's like looking for some stuff. Let me tell you why it's difficult to talk about one. I know a lot of households the way that America is built is you have to have dual incomes, right? I get that. I also get that we're in a shift where mom could be breadwinner and dad could stay home. Rad. Awesome. And then I'm in this unique spot where I have four daughters, three of which are starting to think about life. And and we have this question, Hey, what do you want to do with your life? And we've never made it an option to be like, dude, how rad? Like, do you want to stay home and educate your kids and teach them? There's this like, well, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a travel nurse. Like there's these, we haven't put this homemaker on this. What an awesome job to have. So when I saw it in your, you know, when I saw it in your notes and that this is important to you, I just thought maybe we take a minute to talk about it for two reasons. One, how are we honoring our wives? If that's what they want, how are we honoring it? If it's what we want to create. And then how are we also, gosh, talking about it with our daughters or our kids, right? Isn't that weird that I even feel weird to talk about it? No, it's I, that's so valid. It's like, we don't give it its proper place. If, if we really think it's so great, why are we not talking about it to them? <laughs> right. Or we ask moms like, Hey, what's your side hustle? Like if you're a mom, you also got to have a hustle. Like, Oh my. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this and then let's get your opinion on it. There's this C.S. Lewis quote that says, the ultimate career is the homemaker. All other careers exist to support the ultimate career. Wow. Like, yeah, bro. What would our world look like if that were reality? Yeah. Well, one thing I've stopped doing is saying the word just uh, a at-home mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Uh, and I And I've heard... A lot of people say that. And so I try to be really careful with my language. And it's like, I'll stop the conversation and excuse me, just a stay at home mom. That is the greatest job of all time. And I really want to hype that up. And if my kids want to do that, I think that's great. But you're right, man. When you were talking, I just thought, man, I haven't talked to my kids about that. I, I am saying, hey, what dreams do you have? And all this. What's interesting is that my wife had dreams. She had all these goals and she sacrificed them. Sometimes we'll talk and she said, well, you know, I thought my life was going to be like this. But somewhere in her, once she had babies, she was like, I want to be, I, I want to be all in for these kids. I want to make sure they're taken care of. And she was homeschooling them and doing all this stuff up until last year. She was homeschooling all three of them. And man, I think I totally took her for granted too. And I just this year realized, wow, I really hold my purpose higher than hers. I really think yes. I'm so important. Yeah. And, and you know what it took was I, I went on this camping trip recently and I, I met a guy who said he was super convicted that he was living his life and his wife was living his life and his kids were living his life all for him. And at one point he looked at his wife and oh. said, he said, what do you want to do? And she said, well, if you're really asking, I want to go back to school and become a doctor. He goes, all right. He just was like, you know what? 
you've been watching the kids for 10 years. I'll do it for 10 years. And they swapped roles, dude. Wow. They started living for her. When he told me the story, I almost brushed it aside. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I want to put labels on it and I want to just poo poo it. But then I, I just thought, man, I really respect you for that. I don't know if I could do that, honestly. And it made me really wrestle with the question, you know, do I put myself above her? Do I think of my purpose as so much higher and all these things? Man, it's a good conversation. I think even just the conversation for where I'm at, I don't have the answers, but I think the questions are phenomenal. And I think the conversation is, is one that needs to be had. Yeah, dude. So here's kind of like, as you're sharing, this is a little maybe a horror, not, I don't know, for me is like, mm. I don't, it's not that I want to start raising my daughters to be like, all right, you know, school's not important. Don't go to college, <laughs> just find a dude, get married. And then like, so I don't think that's the solution. But right. in the statement as a man, and this is me too, man, for years, it's like, I bring home the money. I'm only able to go have that freedom and have five kids because of what my wife has done, right? And so to look at it as both are sacrificing and to look at it as we're a team, I think maybe that that could be the conversation, whether you're both working or one's working and one's not. But how are we not putting one purpose above the other? And how are we not saying like, what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing? And I think the general consensus in our culture is that if whoever's making the more money, we have such a value of money that that is the higher value. And if we could just honor the work the mom's doing and or partner, maybe that would be a good starting point. Yeah, I think it doesn't have to be one way forever. My friend was mm -hmm. telling me it can kind of yeah. change and being in a tune with that. Another close friend of mine is going through the same thing where his wife has been making all the money and he's been kind of cruising. <clears throat> it put him into a depression. It mm. turned him, it was part of the reason he kind of turned into an alcoholic. So since he's been getting therapy and everything and then asking his wife, what do you want? She said, I want you to provide. And so they're swapping roles and they have young kids and, and just watching that, I'm going, okay, you know, we're always trying to figure out what's the right way. What's the way it's supposed to be? How is it supposed to happen? Maybe if we're able to have the conversation, that's what we'll find out. But I don't think it's one way for all people. I like how you said that, you know? Yeah, I think as you're saying, the thing I've been talking to Sarah a lot about is being in alignment. So moving away from like, how is it supposed to be? Life isn't about supposed to be. Life is an adventure that should be enjoyed. And if you have a spouse and a best friend and a partner that you're doing this life together, I think it comes down to alignment. And that means like things don't always have to look exactly how they look today, but are we in alignment of how we're providing for our family? It's supposed to be a messy wrestle. Right. I mean, that, that's how we're growing as humans. Yeah, dude, I love that. Okay. As we come close to the end of this, I know one statement you made was that every day is a bonus day with your kiddos. What does that mean? I learned this term from my karate dad. He had a, a health scare and he almost died. And so every day after that, he's like, he pats his chest and he says, I'm still here. Uh, it's a bonus day. <laughs> you know, it's another bonus day. It's like the extra credit, secret level unlocked, extra life in the Mario game. And so my kids have all had a near-death experience. I could go into detail, but I don't know how much time we have. But yeah, each one of my kids has, has been in the bonus days for years. And so when I even talk about it or think about it, I could just come to tears and just look at my kid and go, 
wow, you're here. Like it could have been so much different. I have friends who've lost children and I've walked through that with them. And I almost feel like I've experienced it. I've had dreams about it and I've and I've been in the hospital room where my kids' life is in the balance. And I can't say that I have experienced it, but man, getting that close to death, it makes you appreciate life. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a podcast with Chad Hankel couple weeks ago, put it up. He had a child pass away and just shared the grief of that. And I mean, even dude, we posted on Instagram is this family picture and they're holding a photo of their little child that passed away. So it's like taking this family photo to have that understanding that every day is a gift. The hope is that we don't have to go through something gnarly be in the hospital and have a kid pass or not pass but be so close to it it's like understanding that today's a gift and that's gratitude how would you suggest somebody step into that mindset of gratitude without maybe having the near-death experiences man that's hard i honestly think that most of my gratitude comes from the bad experiences and making it through the other side so i'm sure everyone has some trauma they can go back to in their memory and just be like look what we've come through you know this is awesome and if not wow god bless you that's amazing so in that case being compassionate for other people and being involved with our community and with those those people god's put in our lives you know where we're able to really be there with them and walk through life with them and walk through death with them. And that's where all the gratitude comes from. I used to be an event photographer and some of the most powerful events I've been through were um, Jewish events because even a wedding, they'll talk about death and they go on and on about it. I mean, at least these rabbis did that I, that I saw and they'd be talking about, we've lost this person and we've lost, and then they will just acknowledge people in the community that have passed away. Pretty much every celebration I've been at, where it just humbles everybody that the whole room goes solemn. And it's like, wow, this moment is special. And not to just throw out the negative experiences, which I think is pretty prevalent, you know, nowadays, or in our culture, at least, to embrace those and to acknowledge those, not to live in a victim mindset about it, but to look at it as like an excuse to have gratitude and excuse to praise God for what we've made it through. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I got two final questions. Now, this question I'm going to ask you is the first time I've ever asked this question. So we'll see how it lands. So you're my guinea pig. What type of grandfather do you want to be? Right. And I asked this question, so I'll give you a second to process it. I asked this question, or I thought about asking this question because a lot of times we kind of think about our being father of like this zero to 18. And it's a little bit of this unknown beyond that. Like we don't even quite think of it. And it's hard to even think about like, our daughters being moms or our sons being fathers. It's like, whoa, bro, don't even put me there yet. But if we can plant this seed in our heads of like, okay, well, shoot, what kind of grandfather do I want to be? Then my hope is that as we get into that stage, we're engaged. We go, dude, I have time and wisdom like I've never had before. And yeah, I might golf or do this or that, but I am going to be with my kid, my grandkids, grandkids, the, the, the word kids, they are a part of you. So what comes to mind just off the cuff of what kind of grandfather you want to be? Man, I love that question. We just had this conversation the other day, my wife and I, and I think the old me would have said retirement and like all these things I want to do and all this, but man, I know that I know that I know I want to be there for my grandkids. I want to have a space. Like I want to have a home. I've moved 
40 something times in my life. You know, I never had a childhood home. My grandparents had the home for, you know, a good 15 years of my life. It was like the family home. And I would love to establish that. So I, I think of right away, I just think of a big living room, you know, an old leather chair. I'm sitting in it. I'm not watching the game. I've got the kids, I've got the grandkids coming over. It's just like an open door. That's what I imagine right off. I think that answer is perfect because as soon as you gave, like I wouldn't have said that. And as soon as you said it, like my grandparents on my mom's side, their house, I mean, dude, so many memories there, just being there. Like I could smell the living room right now. I can hear my grandfather's laugh right now. So I love that answer. And like how cool, like as we're making decisions as men, instead of, oh, we're going to get the condo next to the beach for retirement. Oh yeah, kids aren't welcome here. You can't really have kids here or whatever. That's very different than... I've got an acre and I've got a house and it's like, come on, let's do this. I love that answer, bro. So rad to put that thought in our heads now. Beautiful, bro. You know, because when you think of success or money or any of that stuff, none of that matters. And I got to see that in my own family, like in real time right now, I'm seeing grandparents miss out mm -hmm. and I don't want to miss out. And that could be for health reasons, money reasons, whatever. But when I get to that age, I want to be able to speak from wisdom and from experience. And no one's going to listen to me if I don't have my stuff together, if I don't get it together, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't get that house. If I don't get that, like no one's going to be asking me their advice or for my advice. Or That's just more in the tank for me, man. I love that question. Love it, man. All right. Final question. And we'll wrap it up. When you think about legacy, so imagine you are peering into the homes of your children in 30 years from now. They're close to your age today. What is it that you see being played out in their homes? And it just puts a smile on your face going, I showed up. Mm. I can just see them in the kitchen, what we call hop keto love, just grabbing each other, doing wrist locks on each other and tapping out, smiling like just wrestling, wrestling around. I want to see my family physically active and in shape for me because I grew up in the martial arts. I think that would be my ultimate dream is just seeing martial arts going for generation. And man, that, that idea of like, man, I'm a martial artist and my grandfather's a martial artist and my great grandfather, you know, there's just something nostalgic about that for me, having the uniform hang up, they got the belt mm. all right at the door to go. But... <clears throat> I'm willing to let that go as long as they have some kind of physical thing that we do together. Maybe it's surfing, maybe it's whatever, but just doing life physically together, having that joy, having that clear communication with each other. And just like, that's what I imagine. Dude. Will, thank you so much. I've loved our time together. I love the way you're showing up. I mean, from the very beginning of being noticed at a Red Robin to the wisdom you've shared today with not just the, look at how awesome things are, but all of it. Keep showing up that way. Keep loving your kids. I know that the man that you desire to be is that grandfather. He is being built right now. So to be able to be a part of that is incredible. And then Lastly, I'd be an idiot to not at least say this. You and I just spent five days together at an event called The Forge with Rise Up Kings. And there was one experience we had where I literally had to come to your hotel room at 10 o'clock at night and apologize to you for the way that I showed up and treated you. But I need to say thank you because that experience pushed me to a place and it, it revealed something of how I have treated my wife and become critical of her sometimes when she's showing up as a mom. 
So in that moment, you were able to serve as a human for me to have conflict with to reveal something to me that will that literally, bro, when I came home and said, hey, this was the experience and this is how I treated this guy. And what I realized is that I dethrone you when you're in conflict with our kids. And she started to cry. Wow. She's like, Yes. And dude, 19 years we've been together. And so in a two hour experience where I was a total asshole to you two times specifically, and then you and I went and resolved it. You know what I mean? It was an experience, but I got to say thank you because you revealed something through that experience that will move forward for the next 50 years of my marriage and improve it. So thank you for being you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being a good friend to me and a great father, husband, and leader in your community. You're welcome. Thank you for being you, man. You're amazing. Your podcast has been great. I love it. Dude, thank you. All right, bro. I love you. Until next time. What an incredible conversation Wolf and I had. I so loved connecting with him. And as you heard there at the end, there's this deep connection that him and I have based on experience that we had at a Rise Up Kings event that I'm deeply grateful for. You know, one of the things that really stuck out to me that I'll be applying in my own life was this idea of being unoffendable. It's already something that's been on my mind is, I don't want my kids to be worried about my happiness. And I think there are times where I have been offended by something that my kids said to me and they see me be bummed because I got offended. Then they feel bad because it's like, I'm not just their friend that's hanging out with them. I'm their dad and they don't want to see me get bummed out. So that's something that I am applying to my own life. Dads, we must know who we are. The world would look and feel different if men showed up in their identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. And this is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. Make sure to check out adventureoffatherhood.com. I've just launched two courses, an introduction to fatherhood course for new dads and a discover fatherhood for dads. You could have a five-year-old to an 18-year-old and you're just wanting to discover more of your identity and how to connect. Go check that out. It's really been so much fun. Would love to see you on those Zoom calls and connect with you guys. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.